Hello, hello, and welcome to FSU Conversation, where we highlight FSU's School of Communication, its students, alumni, and happenings in the industry. We're your hosts, Andy Mastanduno and McKinnon Bell. I'm a graduate student in Media Communication Studies. And I'm a senior currently working towards a public relations degree. And we're both directors and ambassadors for the School of Communication. On this episode of FSU Conversation, we are discussing navigating careers in communication with Dr. Elizabeth Ray and Dr. Richard Waters. Thank you both so much for being here today. Starting off to take a little untraditional route to introductions, we wanted to see if the either of you would like to introduce each other, get a little bit of a better feel about who you are. I was saying, I think this might be a little unfair because I get to sit in on Richard's uh, interview process as one of our new, newer faculty members, and he has quite the resume, right? So I know that Richard uh, went to the University of Florida for his PhD. I believe he had a master's in, from Syracuse. Uh, also went to the University of Georgia for his undergrad. I think his publication conference list is about three, five miles long. <laughs> I know that uh, he runs, he loves cats, he's a painter, and just an all-around great guy with some of the best stories you're going to hear. That's Richard, That's Dr. Waters. Right. <laughs> well, Dr. Ray, we actually have the University of Florida in common. Uh, just found out we were actually there at the same time, probably taking classes uh, in Weimar Hall uh, at the same time. Uh, she has, from what I have gathered through conversations with students here, you are the public relations program, the guru. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this is, this is really an honor for me to come in and kind of help, you know, fill in some of the areas that you want help in, I guess I, is, is really the best way to put it. But your background, TV reporter, and ac- across northern Florida, it seems, in Jacksonville, Gainesville, uh, Panama City as well. And so it's one that I think our skills really kind of complement each other. Um, so it's nice to be here. Yeah. I also forgot to add that also, you know, Richard not only is an academic and a, and a scholar and a gentleman, but also <laughs> that he worked professionally as well um, in public affairs, both for nonprofits as well as uh, working with major corporations like Walt Disney World. So he has quite the experience on both the academic and practical side as well. Well, thank you so much. I mean, for just getting to know each other this semester, that was really well yeah, done. Great <laughs> introductions. <laughs> I just want to double check. Is there anything either of you would like to add to introductions that you think wasn't covered in the initial overview? Well, I will say, I will say one thing that I did forget, and this was from the uh, end of semester dinner that we had here last December. Absolutely adorable kids. Oh. That are fun, uh, and and so that was that was a nice treat to get to meet your family. Thank you. Yeah, fun is an interesting word. He means they were screaming uh, at that time. <laughs> I think it was fun. Fun for you. <laughs> yeah, no, my kids are pretty great. I've got three kids. Uh, oh, really? Two, four, and six years old. Oh, that's so sweet. Sounds like they're really the life of the party. All right. So beginning, um, you both are teachers here, Dr. Waters. I know you did just start, but you have some background teaching graduate students Mm -hmm. and such. Um, We wanted to ask what have been some rewarding moments thus far in both of your teaching careers? I've been teaching uh, public relations marketing classes since about 2005. 
So taught uh, as a PhD student at the University of Florida. Uh, then from there went to North Carolina State for a brief stay uh, before heading back out west to San Francisco where I've been teaching in the School of Management uh, at the University of San Francisco. How did you describe it? Rewarding experiences or just interesting experiences? Because we could go down either. I like path. the interesting experiences. Let's, let's go interesting. Yeah. Let's do that. So, so fortunately, uh, I, I won't name names. I seem to have been on a path where anything that was not covered in sort of seminars on you know how to teach and getting prepared to go into the classroom, I get all the things that were never covered in that. So, I mean, we can go into detail if you want, but it is, I've had a, a student bitten by a bat in class. Whoa. In class? In class. I have had a, a classroom stormed by campus police to escort someone out. I mean, it's one that I've had a lot of different, <laughs> not expected experiences, but I've had a lot of great times with students in the classroom uh, I had one, uh, one student group, uh, similar to our campaigns class, mm -hmm. uh, who actually wound up getting their client on, I forget the name of the show, but it was the CNBC version of Shark Tank oh, wow. for restaurateurs. Uh, so the, they got their client Sugar Knife uh, Marshmallows on that show. Probably the, the most standout thing that is that I had a current NFL QB as a research assistant oh my gosh. at NC State. Very exciting. What a cool experience. Well, some more cool than others, but <laughs> yeah. in reference to the last one you mentioned, you've really seen a lot. <laughs> it, it has been fun. It, it's been one of those things that the professional work that I did as a practitioner I, I just have, I've had the opportunity to work on some amazing projects that, you know, some that I've loved and some that have just been kind of interesting, um, but I wasn't personally all that into. Same thing in the, on the academic side. Like, it's been one of those, like, I don't think the path that I've had with academics and teaching mm -hmm. are things that people associate when they hear, oh, you're a professor. You know, they, they kind of imagine like, okay, you, it's kind of the, you know, same thing every day, go into the classroom, teach, prepare, lectures, grade, you know, and it's so much more than that. It's, it's really the student interaction in and outside of the classroom that makes this such a rewarding job. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's just fun. I love what I do. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Dr. Ray? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll echo the end sentiment there. Yeah, it's, it really is just rewarding. I think it's it's hard to explain that it factor of students and, and what they mean to you and, and, and how they inspire you to do mm -hmm. new things and learn new things on your own each day. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also part of the industry that we're teaching within mm -hmm. also because I think all students are looking for that. Uh, unique industry experience. It's kind of something new every day. Yeah. As for the other stories, I can only dream of those <laughs> incredible stories that I don't think I can top any of those, but um, maybe many years to come, I'll have those mm -hmm. uh, stories as well. Yeah. How often do the two of you, do you, do students keep up with you post, um, like after they graduate, like check in how you're doing or like 
uh, reach out on like social media and stuff? Yeah, I would I would say it's the one thing that I wish happened more. Like, there are students that we've just had some sort of bond over class topics or their internship experiences that they've asked questions about that we stay in touch with. Uh, just this past weekend, I was, I was texting a former student from NC State who was giving me updates on what she was doing. I mean, I, that's the part that I love. Yeah. You know, it's one that I get really such limited time with most students in the classroom. Uh, but those that come to office hours where we get to know each other a little bit more, yeah. it's great staying in touch. And I like knowing where people wind up mm-hmm. in part because it also opens the door to me bringing you back as a guest speaker or something for yeah. class. Yeah, I always say that to students. I'm like, just so you know, I'm going to be asking you to come back here and talk <laughs> yeah. to students. Just like you guys were looking for someone to come talk to you. Yeah. I fully expect that you're going to come back but I think LinkedIn also makes that really accessible now because I have a lot of students who you know I can stay connected with at the very least on LinkedIn or they'll message me from time to time things like that that's awesome yeah that's like you mentioned LinkedIn's such a great tool nowadays for like this generation you know I always think social media with our friends how it allows you to keep in touch with people you grew up with but keeping in touch in the professional world LinkedIn is such a great resource for that and um Dr. Waters, you mentioned like how you'll keep in touch with some of your students regarding different courses you've taken with them in the past, how you've met them. What do you guys think, like as communication professors, what communication courses do you believe are like a necessity to be taught or are essentials for students to take who are entering this field or looking to enter this field? I feel like that's sort of tough to answer because I really, it's an it depends answer for Mm -hmm. me because I think it really depends on what your aim is and what your goals are Mm because I really think that's up to the individual student to sort of determine what is my path look like, what am I interested in. If you were to ask me specifically about like strategic communication, I'd probably definitely say a writing course, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that's, you know, PR writing or persuasive writing, I would say definitely those. Uh, Some sort of research course, right? Uh, It's because obviously with campaigns, we have to have some elements of research in there but I think it really depends on what you know your goals are obviously we have production students who need to get their hands on cameras and equipment so it's an it depends for me yeah and so there are two classes that I that really kind of jump out to me um one I've taken as an undergrad or one I took as an undergrad and another one that I wish I would have so Mm -hmm. the one that I would say uh, is probably most helpful overall is public speaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of where you are in communication, mm-hmm. you are going to be doing some sort of public presentations, speaking with clients, and the confidence that's gained after con- you know, confronting that fear of public speaking yeah. is, is quite uh, important. Uh, you also get the opportunity to put presentations like at least at the the public speaking class I took, we did presentations, not just the sort of the formal public speak mm-hmm. or speech. Um, the other class I would say is one that I re- wish I could have taken or, or would have taken is interpersonal communication. Yes. Okay. Like it's something that in getting to know how small groups or one-on-one conversations unfold, and how much that has influenced what we know about relationships with stakeholders, with clients, and the public relations side. Mm-hmm. I wish I had taken that course and really gotten to know 
the background of interpersonal communication rather than jumping right into organizational. Yeah, especially in a digital age as those things shift, you know, yeah. like those soft skills and being able to understand how to best work with others at an interpersonal yeah. level is so important. But on that, I also thought about, you know, an ethics class, I think, no matter what, and, and you know, not necessarily just a communication ethics, mm-hmm. but some sort of ethics-based course, too, yeah. is really sort of centering and grounding yourself before you uh, walk out into the world and professionally make decisions. Yeah, and it's hard to kind of pick one sole course mm-hmm. that, that kind of encapsulates all that you really have to learn. Moving forward, um, or actually moving backwards, during your time as students studying communications, um, how would you say that you were able to utilize what you learned with your degrees throughout your careers? And I think I mentioned this in you know, the first day of our campaigns class. Uh, as an undergrad, I worked at a communication agency in Atlanta full-time while I was doing my, my studies. And it was something that my coursework, I mean, granted this was way back when, uh, it wasn't, what I was doing in the agency did not match what I was being taught. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was something that I went through the writing, I went through uh, campaigns, through strategy, uh, ethics course wasn't required at the time. I don't even, I don't even know if research was required formally at the time. Uh, but it was something that we were being taught public relations. Oh, it's the management of relationships. You know, you know the the standard definition. And at the agency, it was not that at all. At least at the level that I was working, mm-hmm. it was all publicity. Like, let's write a press release, get it out, even though there is nothing newsworthy about this press release whatsoever. And it wasn't until I took uh, an elective um, my senior year that it started to make sense. And I only fell into this elective because I was looking, uh, you know, I'm guilty. I was looking for that ideal course schedule that would allow me to get to Atlanta to work Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, have my afternoons, early evenings off for that. And this, this course on fundraising fit that schedule perfectly and that's where this idea of a relationship with stakeholders started to make sense because now it was not just promoting a client at the agency we were talking about uh, donors and retaining donors and how you have to sort of appease you know donors based on a wide variety of their, their motivations And so that's when kind of the classroom started to make sense and I started to see it play out a little more because I started to work a little more with nonprofit clients in the agency environment. And so working with uh, the zoo, the symphony, all of a sudden you started to see these things come to life and it wasn't just, all right, let's put out a press release uh, to try to get some news coverage on insurance or whatever it might have been at the time Uh, and that's where it really made a difference for me because I wound up going to uh, Syracuse to really start to focus on the fundraising stuff because it really intrigued me but look this is the first time it made sense Mm -hmm. and so I wound up going to uh, a very corporate focused uh, program and and I was like okay I, I don't care about you know, the, the major retailers or the, the websites that are coming. I want to look at nonprofit stuff. And 
that's where I've been ever since, mm-hmm. uh, trying to understand how theories that we talk about actually do impact and you can use to predict successes in your um, public relations or fundraising campaigns. Interested in after that. It's always so wonderful when you stumble upon something like that that you were never Absolutely. Expecting. It's really part of the beautiful part, I think, about academia, how you go in expecting one thing and come out with a completely different attitude. And it really, it really led me to the University of Florida for my PhD because the textbook that was used in that undergrad elective it was sort of a work in progress. And so the, the instructor that we had there knew that this book was being written and reached out to Kathy Kelly, who was at uh, Louisiana Lafayette at the time, and said, hey, can we test run, you know, or test drive your, your textbook and see how it works? And she was like, sure, take it. And so I remembered that um, textbook and had conversations that were set up by the instructor to talk with Kathy um, about her work. And so when it became time for me to get my, when I think about the PhD, I was like, there's only one program I wanna go to, mm-hmm. uh, and it's wherever Kathy Kelly is. And so fortunately she had moved from nowhere, Louisiana, <laughs> uh, to Gainesville, and, and so I was like, well, that's where I'm applying. If I don't get in, I don't get in. Fortunately I did. I think you touch on a really important point too, because it's so much about the network uh, in your life mm-hmm. as well. Because even in college, when I was an undergrad, I still to this day will sometimes message, you know, sort of my mentor in undergrad when I started in radio and we worked at the radio station and he mm-hmm. sort of, you know, inspired me a lot. And I would still even, you know, put him on as a recommender for so many years uh, there. And just that network of people and the people that inspire you uh, or that one class yeah. or that one person. So it's not always about the exact you know, syllabi or the mm-hmm. exact textbook, but rather, you know, what's brought to life in the classroom, I often find, you know, that really pulls in later in life as well. Professors really do make such an impact on how you learn and the oh, experience yeah. you come out with. So in your career so far, you've both held a variety of different uh, positions that pull from different areas of communication. Um, so from these p- professions, what are some of the biggest uh, takeaways that you've had from your careers? And if there are any skills that have you feel have been strengthened in your work experience? For me, when I first started and I worked in news, it was really about deadlines. Uh, I think when you're an undergrad, uh, you might be a little more flexible with that or you may not see as much the importance of that. And toward my, the end of my like senior year in undergrad, we started... Uh, you know, putting out newscasts and we realize it's five o'clock, it has to be now. Like you can't be 501, it's five o'clock. Uh, and then so when I started my career in news, I really started developing that um, you got to back time everything, you got to be organized, you got to be on time. But more importantly than that, you had to figure out how to work with people. Uh, like we were talking about with the interpersonal skills, I'd say that's one of the most important things I've learned through every job I've ever had is how to navigate relationships with others and you realize we're much better together than we are alone uh, and the ideas are just so much more fruitful and the projects are more fun when you have other people to share it with. And I'd say uh, beyond just like deadlines and organization throughout different positions, it's been really those relationships with others, both friendships and working relationships and projects yes. and things like that. And I would say one of the things that just jumps out at me when you were, at, when you were asking that question is just the role of research 
And, you know, we're not talking that it has to be, you know, a generalizable survey of, uh, you know, a population that you're working with, with a particular client, but it's something that when situations arise, you have sort of that intuition that, okay, this is what needs to be done, but I don't want to be in the position by myself to say, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. This is why I think we're doing it. So it's something that I, I've grown to value those qualitative conversations. You know, being able to sit down with someone and, and say, okay, let, let's talk about something for 30 minutes. Let's just walk through these different scenarios, different ideas. And, and just that sort of gut check is so important in professional practice. You know, there, there are times when, yes, we're going to do formal uh, surveys, we're going to do observation research, whatever it may be, but it, it, that informal qualitative is also so strong. And I didn't really anticipate that as much based on my internship experience and seeing how much research across that entire spectrum really does come into play. Yeah. I do remember, um, I think the first or second day we had campaigns class, you had said that to try not to think about your tactics too early on because it can very often happen where you're thinking too early about the ideas without the research, the accurate research that you need to put in first to make those like conclusions. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, in, a, in the campaigns class, like you hear from the client, like what they see as their issues. And a lot of times they are accurate, but there's also those hidden things that they don't talk about or they, they may not even know about. Mm -hmm. And that research helps steer what it is we're actually going to focus on strategy or tactic wise. And yeah. so it, it's always been one of my one of my biggest things that if you leave nothing, you know, leave the class with nothing else make sure it is I'm not jumping directly to tactics and messaging. Mm -hmm. Like the research has to lead you to that point if you're gonna develop an effective campaign. Yes. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember when I first started getting into academia, like I wasn't thinking a PhD, you know, mm -hmm. I had been working for a long time and I was like, oh, you know, it sounds interesting to get a master's degree. So I got my master's while I was working <laughs> full time and I still wasn't thinking PhD, but being a reporter, I liked asking questions. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it was more just an intuitive, like I like questions and the mystery of it all and finding out the answer. Uh, and then when I started again, pairing with other people and realizing, wait a second, I could really explore this and navigate this through more in-depth research. Uh, it was just that, like, I like questions. Uh, and sometimes my husband says I ask too many <laughs> <laughs> questions. He reminds me of that frequently. But I just love questions and the mystery and solving problems and, and getting to bring things to light that you weren't even thinking about, just yeah. these new ideas like you're talking about. I think in the practice, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, in the real world and also in academia, mm -hmm. um, that's just so valuable. Absolutely. And I love how you bring up this concept of, asking questions and how both of you touch on this need to talk to other people, build these relationships. That's how you're going to get the strongest final product and whatever you go, whatever you accomplish. Because I think so often, like you said, Dr. Waters, in these entry-level internships, a lot of students are going into, you're not getting that group experience so much. You're not getting that team building. And I think it's such a wonderful component to look forward to and even in the academic setting getting those group projects to start building those skills on how to have those interpersonal conversations 
going back to like professional work is so important something I really appreciate like in my graduate program so far when you have those creative group projects and seeing how everyone's ideas contribute to make like this really cool final product that no one yeah. can come up with on their own I think it's absolutely special and I want to shift now to solving the problem you said Dr. Ray you both have backgrounds dealing with the media. Dr. Ray, you've mentioned as television news reporter, and Dr. Waters, you actually did work for media relations with the first three Harry Potter films. Can you recall a time when you or your team were faced with a media-related crisis that you needed to act back fast to fix? Was there a valuable lesson learned from it? Was it a challenging time? You know, working in news, there's always a crisis. Uh, <laughs> Every day was a crisis. It was like you'd start on one story and you're like, great, I'm going to cover city hall today and it's going to be air conditioning and great. Uh, and then it was, no, actually, you're going out to this wildfire in five minutes and you're going to be three hours away and you're not sleeping tonight because you got to turn this story. But um, So there was always that, uh, but that was kind of the fun of it also. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly in that job, I met people on the worst days of their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not to keep harping on the relationship skills, but I learned more meeting people on those terrible days, and I can remember exact moments in some of the worst days of people's lives and being present with them and not always in a great way mm-hmm. um, and just navigating those very human, human moments. And now I know you mentioned I have kids, and as a parent, some things I look back and regret. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes putting a camera in someone's face when maybe it wasn't the best time for that. And so learning and growing as a person and experiencing that, those raw moments with people and how to communicate with people uh, in those times and understand uh, where other people are coming from and the empathy yeah. uh, that, or sympathy for other people. So I'd say in that job, I learned a lot about uh, that. Which crises can I, can I actually talk about? Because there, <laughs> there are several that are under like NDA uh, agreements. Um, I guess the the biggest thing that I can think about as far as the crises that I've worked with and worked with clients on, it really is figuring out, and and this is kind of, you know, one of the problems that public relations has within organizations. We generally want to be as open and transparent as possible. Mm -hmm. And so when organizations have gone through crises that have had devastating impacts on a family, on a community, you know, whatever the size is, we as public relations people typically are wanting to be out front apologizing, you know, taking ownership of the situation, Mm -hmm. yet we have legal slapping our hands saying, no, we can't say this. Mm -hmm. You know, even though we feel, you know, and generally rightfully so, that if it's not 100% our fault, we at least had something to do with whatever that situation was. Mm-hmm. And we want to apologize because we've got that relationship in mind. But for legal reasons, we're not allowed to say, I'm sorry, or, or admit involvement in a situation. And that, that's kind of the disheartening part, I, I would say, of public relations in a crisis situation especially when you do have those relationships in mind because it is the worst day of whoever's life possibly or, or you are seeing the impact on a, on a community come into play. 
the only other thing I would, I would say crisis-wise, and this is more of a fun crisis, I guess, rather than, you know, a serious one, you know, working with kids. Because I've, I've worked with the Harry Potter films. I've worked with Toys for Tots. And a lot of times we do bring in kids. I, I don't want to say as props. But as spokespeople, I'm certainly for the films, but also like for Toys for Tots. Like there's something about hearing a message come from a child, especially when it's a really meaningful message, that just makes it much more resonant with audiences. Mm -hmm. And so there are times when, you know, you'll go through media relations training, you'll come up with message points like, okay, I really need you to say X, Y, Z. And somehow it comes across as ABC. And it's like, all right, well, that was not at all what we were working on. And now I've got to go back and try to figure out how to get another interview so that that quotation can be heard, so that message point gets out there. And it's just, I mean, you see social media and the things that kids say. Like, it's just... It's a it's a headache, but it's also one of those that, okay, it's not a migraine. So I don't mind going through this headache, but it, it's it's interesting. I'll say. I think what to what you're saying about it being disheartening that sometimes you just can't offer an apology. I think the important thing with that is that like you learned and you know how to adjust for the future to avoid things like that happening again. So in it, there's still that kind of like silver lining, I guess. Yeah. Um, but um, for our current students or recent graduates, would you, do you have any advice that you would offer them when it comes to navigating their own careers? So this is where, this is where I'm probably gonna offer advice that <laughs> you might say, no, don't say that. <laughs> um, for me, it's, it's always been one run into fearful situations that you may have some doubts about um, because that's where you grow professionally. Like if you stay in your comfort zone, it really becomes easy to be pigeonholed into, all right, I'm going to be staying in this account coordinator position and not moving up to uh, something higher. And, and part of that also has been, um, I, I would not say I'm a, a good example of work-life balance because I, I find it difficult to say no. Yeah, like, I like taking on projects that sound interesting to me even if I don't really have time for it. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that gets into that you know, question, you know, always wanting to know the answer to why. You know, and so that would be my, my biggest suggestion. It would just be don't stay, comf don't stay com too comfortable. And always try to find something that is a challenge. You can always find something new, learn something new about yourself and taking on things that are out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. And I would ask with that too, Dr. Waters, you talked about earlier in this interview taking a class you weren't expecting and ending up really loving it. So really yeah. this advice applies, stepping out of your comfort zone, not just to a career, but even students looking to try something new and you never know where that might take you. Yeah, and I I would say, you know, it's not only on the academic side or the or the work side. Like it's something that, hey, if there's if there's a new hobby that you've been interested in exploring, like just just do it. Like, you may fail, but for if you don't fail, you never know what your real passions are. Mm -hmm. 
And so that failure really does help open up your eyes like, okay, I didn't do this well, but I learned something about it. You know, I totally agree with all of what you just said, but also just being patient. Uh, I, I find that a lot of students, are, especially when they're in their senior semester, just so eager, like, oh no, what if I don't have a job a week out after graduation? And I remember the advice someone gave me because I've always been that person looking so much to the future. What's next? What's next? What's next? And the excitement of it, but also just backing up and just taking time to live in the moment and not being so worried about what's to come because it will come, yeah. right? Um, and so that's one of the advice I, I typically try to give students is uh, because that was given to me too whether it's you know one week or it takes you one year to find your mm -hmm. first real job that you yeah. really are passionate about don't worry because you have a lifetime of work ahead of you <laughs> yeah. uh, and so just being patient and looking for those opportunities those challenges and finding what fits you it doesn't have to be always what's next what's next what's next mm -hmm. it's where am I uh, and live in the moment a bit I always recommend too yeah, so. yeah I've, I actually remember there was one, I felt the pressure to take, to take a job right. at, at one point in, in my career. Yeah. And it was one of those that, okay, I, I don't like being unemployed or not right. having something to do. Right. Yeah. And so I took a job that I, I knew from the beginning was not for me. And I remember standing outside the office, this is when pay phones were still a thing, on a payphone, essentially getting to the point of almost crying to my mom that this is so awful. I don't know why I'm here. And and her advice was just quit. Yeah. Like don't don't take a job simply to have a job. Like it's got to be something that you have passion for. Yeah, and it has to align with your your values. Exactly. And so that was that was something that I don't I will never forget just how low I felt at that point because I wanted to work I wanted to use the skills that I just gained, but this particular position was just not right for me and that patience and waiting, because the great job did come, yeah. a few weeks later. Yeah, and then the older you get, the more opportunities you're going to realize that you're going to have. When you're younger, you feel like this is it. If I don't do this, yeah. then this is it. For yeah. Me. And then Absolutely. you realize that everything's not quite so set in stone as you feel like it is when you're younger. Then when you're older, you're like, actually, I can really cultivate and create and navigate my own plan, my own life, yeah. uh, and the way I want it to go. But sometimes I didn't realize that when I was younger. Uh, and the older I get, the more I realize it's not a, this has to be. It's a, mm -hmm. let's do this and see where it takes me. I feel like I need to hear that advice. I think a lot of our listeners probably did too, because I think there is such a societal pressure that there's a checklist essentially as soon as you start college you know get a degree get a job move up this corporate ladder that everyone feels like if you're not succeeding as fast it's so easy to compare yourself to your peers online nowadays and on linkedin that you're like wow i'm falling behind when in reality everyone has their own paths and like you said different opportunities are going to come along at different times and that's something I have to remind myself all the time. Um, and you're graduating this semester. I know. So. It's a very weird trans transitional period right now for me and I think a lot of other people who are graduating this semester. But And to that, I would say, you know, it's coming from the nonprofit sector, right, where I've done much of my work. Uh, it's one of those I would say, don't forget about the role of volunteering. Like yes. in that kind of transition period, because a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm going to volunteer. That means I'm going to stock shelves or I'm going to feed animals mm -hmm. or clean up after them. 
But when you come to an organization with skill sets and you let them know this is what I want to do, most of the nonprofits are going to be jumping at the opportunity to have you working on PSAs, news releases, you know, working on IT and databases and things like that. So you're gaining a lot of skills mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah, yes, you may not have a job per se, but all the skills that you're gaining while volunteering are certainly going to boost that resume and boost your professional skills. Yeah. I think it can be very fulfilling if you're volunteering with an organization you're passionate about rather than Absolutely. working for a company you're not. So thank you guys so much for that. And then to end us on a little bit of a lighter note that we greatly appreciate your insight. It's not often students get the chance to give teachers quizzes. So we didn't want to miss <laughs> out on that opportunity here. Um, and we've had many quizzes in our own lives. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. been students for <laughs> probably far too long. <laughs> so for our final question, we decided it's your turn to take the test, but don't worry. They won't be too difficult and we're going to do a bit of graphic question style are you ready all right yeah, as go for it right? all right what is your favorite word dude festoon what is festoon That's a good word. so when i was a reporter uh, we used to have to do a lot of parades which was always kind of our least favorite it's kind of like the cat fashion because <laughs> when you're covering a parade people are throwing beads at you and not in a good way it's like can you just stop i just gotta get this on camera and uh, we would always try to come up with new words to describe things and so like when they would festoon or put things up like on you know like the lights I love and things it. like that so we'd always try to work that into the festoon. script as like a little inside joke about <laughs> who is your favorite musician dolly parton Oh, good, one. good one. Spice Girls. Really? Oh, which Spice Girl is your favorite? Scary. Mine too. I wrote a whole research paper on her in the fifth grade. Did you really? Yeah. What is your favorite color? I'd say blue. I know that's a vanilla answer, but I do like blue. So if mine, if mine were a food, it would kill me, but chocolate brown. Ooh. I'm allergic to chocolate, but I love the really? color of chocolate brown, yeah. We did touch on this a little bit um, with you, Dr. Waters, but what do you both like to do in your free time? You're acting as if we have free time. <laughs> <laughs> I would say probably just spending time with my family, spending time with my kids, and then when I'm not spending time with them, sleeping is always nice. <laughs> is always nice, but reading, you know, just the, I'm pretty boring. He's the more interesting one. I don't know if I'm interesting. I, I, I do like to paint. Um, I, I have done 95 half marathons at this point. And wow. at, at one point did try, was working on a, a half marathon in every state. So I, I've done 50 and 50. Uh, I've done half marathons in eight countries. And am working up to the Honolulu Marathon in December of 23. What is your motto? Do you have a life motto? I don't know if I have a life motto, but I might steal from Mark Ziegler the be kind always. I think that's such a good one. I know Mark really has sort of trademarked that over there, but, um, but I think it's just so true. Just, you know, you never know where people are in their lives or that day even, and just making sure that you're always entering those conversations being kind, always. Mm -hmm. That's much better than my answer. <laughs> uh, well, I stole it from Mark, so. <laughs> I, I, I guess the one thing that I've always kind of lived by is why not? Mm -hmm. That's good. You know, because it's one of those things I don't want to limit myself. 
you know, I don't want that fear, like, okay, no, I don't want to go bungee jumping because that just looks terrifying. Like, okay, do it once. See what it's like. Why not? The experience. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and I've had career opportunities come up, you know, and I think we talked about it in, in one of my classes mm-hmm. that, all right, ask me to do the media relations for the Harry Potter stuff. And no, I have no interest in that. And then they were like, go read the first book mm-hmm. and come back to us. And within five pages, I was kind of hooked. And I was like, all right, why not? Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Something I've never done, but let's try. Get back to stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we'll end on one lighter question to wrap up. So this will be our final question for the podcast today. If you could have dinner with anyone, living or deceased, who would it be? This is one that I, I never have a good answer for. Like. Well, for me, it's always that I would, you know, we could think of a bunch of historical figures or celebrities, but I tend to think they're better in my mind than they would be if I actually met them. So for me, as much as I would love to say one or two that I thought were really awesome, I kind of think maybe in my mind they're better. And so I would rather, you know, spend time with somebody I loved and knew, which would have been my great-grandmother, uh, who I was actually named after. Her name was Elizabeth Pendleton. And uh, she used to tell me so many great stories about our family, about growing up, about just like a different era. Mm-hmm. And just another, you know, time to spend with her would be pretty incredible to me. Uh, so that would be, I guess, my answer. Yeah, uh, yeah that's... So, so for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with living. So hopefully I can get a few more seats at the table since we're not having to do time travel. <laughs> and I, I like to time travel. <laughs> I honestly, it, it would just be like going back to like Thanksgiving dinner with family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like having that extended family there too. I mean, to me, that's, you know, relation, I mean, it's relationship. It's, yeah. it's one of those things that that would be the most useful time for me because yeah. I yeah I, I don't think I would be very entertaining conversation for somebody that's well known or uh... well thank you both so much yes, we love your funny you. answers I think you gave some really great insight into everyone who's tuning in so thank you from our behalf and thank you on behalf of all of our listeners and FSU conversation we really appreciate you guys coming and being here today thank you Thanks for having us, us.